When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. And it's a Royal Blue Podcast that I don't think any of us want to be doing today. I'm your host, Sam Carroll, and I'm joined by Chris Beasley, Dave Prentice and Gavin Buckland as we look back on what was an awful defeat at Brentford on Sunday and then looking ahead to Liverpool visiting Goodison Park on Wednesday for the first Merseyside derby of the season and what has now turned into a crucial game for Everton and Rafa Benitez. Chris, you're sat beside me. Yeah. From watching the game yesterday, I think a lot of the talk now, the longest winless run since Roberto Martinez was in charge yeah. towards the end of his tenure at the club. A lot of pressure suddenly on Rafa Benitez, not just because of the results, but the manner of the performances. Yeah, you're right on both scores, I think, there, Sam. Um, the, uh, the Brentford game, um, I wouldn't have said it was a must win, but I think it was a must not lose. Yeah. And they've lost it. So, yeah, they've put themselves in a real difficult position for Rafa Benitez going into the Merseyside derby, which we'll talk about going forward. But, you know, it was always going to be an emotional fixture is always going to be a big thing. The fact that Everton now had a former Liverpool manager going into this fixture. And, um, yeah, without um, a, a league win now since the, the end of September, it, it, it's not good at all. It's not ideal preparation. And like you say, the, the manner of those defeats, um, Brentford were no great shakes at all. Missing players in key areas themselves yesterday. They had the rookie keeper who conceded eight in his previous three games. He wasn't tested. Sky commentators kept saying, oh, well, Brentford are clinging on here. I don't think they were, in my opinion. Everton certainly bossed possession and the territorial advantage in the second half, but they never really looked like scoring. They had a few crosses into the box and nobody was getting on the end of them. Like I said, keeper didn't have really many saves to make and it was really disappointing because they, they really looked there for the taking. Brentford, they were game, as you can imagine, newly promoted side, but not, no real quality at all. But, you know, they got their noses in front. And then Everton weren't able to do anything about it. And it was, you know, they said a, a must-not-lose fixture and they took nothing from it going into this uh, hugely important fixture with Liverpool. Dave, it was it was such a stupid penalty to concede from Andros Townsend. But when Tony scored, I said to, to Paul Wheelock, we, we were sat in the office watching and I said, we could turn this game off now. We're not going to score. And it's weird with Everton. You're almost, from the early minutes, you can tell what, what they're going to do. It was just... There was just no attacking verve whatsoever, was there? That's the worry. There was no attacking verve from the, the players that we've got available. I mean, I thought the circumstances of the defeat were very unfortunate. I mean, OK, it wasn't a good performance. That's, you know, sort of make that straight. But equally, it was a freak penalty. I mean, it was really unfortunate. Andros Townsend was just trying to clear the ball. It was an honest attempt to clear the ball. And, uh, you know, Brentford player put his head in the way and got his head in the way. Nothing against the fact that it was a penalty, but it was a really unfortunate penalty to concede. And then when you see 20 minutes later, you know, an absolutely obvious penalty, not even 
uh, pushed onto VAR. When Solomon yeah. Rondon's clearly got the shirt pulled off his back, and you know every pundit in the uh, on the halftime panel agreeing that you know it should have been at least referred to VAR and probably should have been given. Makes you you know realise you know so how unlucky it was. I mean, the second half for me, yeah, lots of possession, you know, so elements of the performance were okay. And Damari Gray clearly made a big difference when he came on. But just that lack of quality in other areas is clearly so lacking. And I'd actually said exactly the same thing as whoever was on co-commentary duties was saying that Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you know, probably would have had about 12 goals this season if he'd have been available, given some of the crosses that we've seen fizz across, you know, the, the six-yard box so many times uh, and, you know, so not being converted by strikers who are back on the heels and underlines once again, you know, so the problems and the flaws that we've had in recruitment in recent years. And, uh, you know, there has been no proper backup for Dominic Calvert-Lewin recruited. I mean, in every Charleston, you know, sort of, you know, so fills that role and he wasn't available at the weekend, but he's not a centre forward. And, uh, you know, so Solomon Rondon, you know, so clearly, you know, is way off the pace. He was better. He was better at the weekend, certainly. But, you know, he's not an adequate replacement for you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. So the flaws in recruitment, you know, sort of the four once again. And um, I think we said last week that, you know, exactly what Chris has just said there, it's not a, you know, a must-win game, as some of the lads labelled it, but it's one that we couldn't really afford to lose, given what's, you know, sort of coming up. And like everybody, I'm really worried about Wednesday night because that, that evening has the potential to turn the supporters who are actually behind Rafa Benitez and who are backing him against the manager. Uh, because you can imagine, you know, if what we anticipate does happen, that Liverpool play well, that they, you know, sort of win with relative comfort. You can imagine how the Liverpool fans are going to react. There's going to be chance for Rafael Benitez. You've already seen uh, the, you know, so the, the jokes doing the rounds, the moment Darren Farley's latest impersonation, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, the potential is there, you know, so for the Everton fans to to turn on the manager as a result of that. So, you know, if Sunday was important, Wednesday is like still doubly so. And it's it's not an evening that I'm looking forward to with any great optimism, I have to say. After the game last night, Gabba, I did see a lot of people on social media discussing Rafa Benitez and, and his position. Where do you stand on, on the manager at this stage? Um, just say, by the way, that the, the afternoon was summed up by my father-in-law he was watching the game in the pub with me, and uh, he's in his he's a Liverpool fan in his mid eighties, and he said he said uh, you sound very good. Not the first time I mentioned mid eighties, yeah. Not the first time I mentioned mid eighties on this podcast, and uh, yeah, uh, that summed it up for me. Really, um, well, we spoke about this Sam briefly on Friday, didn't mean that. Um, I don't see what purpose you know, sacking the manager or whatever serves at this stage. Uh, at the same time, I think legitimate questions could be asked of Benitez in terms of getting the most out of his players, which I think was still there yesterday. Yeah. Um, I think he queried, I think we only made one sub, didn't we, yesterday? Um, and I thought that wasn't great. Even allowing for the lack of options off, off the bench. Um and this statement afterwards about connection between supporters and fans and um, you know, needing to rebuild that as well. A few people picked up on that. But there's nothing to be said by you know, removing Benitez at this stage because I think the club's problems are yeah, far more than that. 
as we know. Um, and that's that, really. I mean, I don't say what I said on Friday is a lot of our problems are down to the fact that we've sacked managers at the rate of what one a year or something like that since Majeri came. Well, what's the point of them sacking the manager if, if in that case, yeah, you, you've, got to, you've got to keep your nerve, haven't you? Really, and I think that's what we're going to have to do at the same time. You're going to ask Benitez that you need to get a bit more out of the players, that's why we're paying you. X millions of pounds per year. Um, whether that's enough again, the problem with that though, Sam, is whether that's good enough in the fixes that are coming up Definitely. Um, over the next next month where we can try our best and be 100% committed and put everything in and legitimately lose three, three or four games out of five. When Rafa first came in, I think we spoke a lot of times on this podcast about he said all the right things. It felt like he, he he did all the right things. You know, the instant impact that Damari Gray had, the instant impact that Andros Townsend had. You know, it kind of felt like he'd, he'd made all the right decisions in the transfer market as well. But as Gav's just pointed out there, okay, they haven't played a lot of Premier League football in isolation. But, you know, Cenk Tosin, full Turkish international, who does have a track record in his career of scoring goals. He scored goals in the Champions League. You've got... Two young lads full of confidence who've been playing well for the under-23s in Lewis Dobbin and Ellis Sims. Why did he only make one substitution? It, it was truly baffling when you're chasing a game like that. I thought so, yeah. Um, in fact, uh, um, like I said, there's three strikers uh, on the bench. Um, you know, you, they were training from the 24th minute onwards, so there's plenty of time to to, to add them on. And he, okay, if Tosin's still not sharp, we know he's, he's not a runner, but he is a finisher. And, you know, he has proven that over the years. So even if you just get 10 or 15 minutes out of him, you know, he, he can do a job there. And then again, I've been speaking to Michael Ball again in his column today. And he's talking about the youngsters again. He thinks that youngsters should be given a chance because I think he described uh, Rondon as, as being like a statue up there. Like we say, he did do a bit more. And to be fair, he, he got that chance in the first half where he sort of did well to create the chance and then maybe should have done better with the finish. But... He, he likes it to when Danny Cadamatri broke through all those years ago, about the similar time that Michael was breaking through. He said, yeah, he probably wasn't ready, certainly from um, from a technical point of view. He said that unknown quantity, you know, what the youngsters give you, they give you that enthusiasm, they give you that energy, and they give you that unknown factor, whereas they've not been scouted, the opponents don't know much about them. And when you've got a sense of audience offering that little at, at the moment, maybe it could be certainly on a short-term basis. Yeah. Just, just just throw them in there, because I think he was saying, Rafa said he was reluctant to do that because they might suffer both emotionally and in terms of their career development. He, Michael disagrees. He thinks that, you know, there's only only good things can be, be um, brought from actually giving them the chance. They either sink or swim, but, you know, they'll certainly relish the prospect. And, you know, when, when the incumbent striker isn't actually offering very much, that's 10 games now, or parts, you know, 10 appearances from Rondon without a goal. And, um, yeah, what's, what's to be lost, really? Certainly when you're chasing a game, you bring one of those young lads on. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Dave, I'm sure you've seen the the videos on social media doing the rounds of of the Everton away end, kind of voicing their displeasure at full time. And and there was a couple of the players, noticeably Anthony Gordon, who, who did look gutted by that reaction and. At the end of the day, you know, the, the performances that those players are, are turning in does merit that. And, and and these are people spending their hard-earned money to, to go and watch that team and, and leaving at 4 5 a.m. But, you know, I, I that for me speaks volumes about the position Rafa Benitez is, is now in. And he's no stranger to it himself. He, he's managed Newcastle. He, he was in difficult situations at Liverpool, but... It, it does kind of feel like in the last few weeks he has started making decisions tactically that haven't really made a lot of sense. Um, two elements to that. I mean, uh, the reaction of the supporters, I, I can totally understand and totally agree with. Uh, they are there inside the stadium. They, they've spent an awful lot of money and, like you say, uh, got up at ridiculous hours uh, to get make, take a long journey in fairly unpleasant weather conditions to get there and yeah. support their team. And they feel that they're not getting the requisite level of effort and you know and work rate from the people that they are watching. I mean, that's before you even start talking about say, the levels of creativity and you know sort of artistry and whatever else. They just weren't seeing you know sort of the basics there, which is why they were angry at the end of the game. So you know, so I totally understand that. And yeah, you know, it's hard when you see young lads like Anthony Gordon, who clearly was given everything that he you knew he could, reacting badly to it. But, you know, the, uh, the the performance probably merited that. Rafa, he's made some strange decisions over the last week or two. Uh, yeah, certainly only making one substitution at the weekend was one of them. I mean, I suppose his argument would be, and I, you know, I'm only second-guessing, but Everson were dominating possession. They were getting the ball into wide areas and they were getting dangerous crosses into the box. Therefore, you know, why would he change it if, you know, we're not exactly knocking on the door, but, you know, we're, uh, you know, we are making some kind of things happen. But I suppose the counter to that is that not enough was happening. And, you know, so this, like, rookie goalkeeper wasn't being asked to work uh, as hard as he could have been. And there were plenty of candidates there who weren't exactly sparkling that could have come out. Now, you know, we haven't got that much in the way of attacking options. I mean, I worry about young strikers. I mean, we always talk about, well, they haven't been brought on because, you know, it could crucify them mentally and emotionally. Uh, if they're thrown into such a bleak situation like that, and you know, imagine Ellis Sims or you know, you know, Lewis Dobbin, for argument's sake, going over to the away supporters after ten minutes, and you know, sort of being confronted with that kind of reaction, you know, it could set their development back a long time. But equally, you know, I've seen so many youngsters, you know, sort of thrown in um, at times of desperation. Really, Franny Jeffers is the one I think of, you know, so more recently, um, you know, when Walter Smith was absolutely toiling, and you know, so and he, he certainly wasn't physically equipped uh, for Premier League football at the time, Franny Jeffers. But, you know, he came in and scored goals very, very quickly because he had that little bit of something. Ellis Sims, we've said on this before, has got that goal knack. He might lack other areas of his game, but, you know, he's got the ability to score goals. And, you know, maybe just for 10 or 15 minutes, that might have been, you know, sort of worth a chance. I mean, has football changed that dramatically, you know, so in the last 20 years, you know, since when Franny Jeffers was thrown into the fray? Uh, to suggest that, you know, it, it's more physical, it's more intense now. Therefore, these youngsters can't possibly be pitched in unless they're ready. I'm not sure it has changed that much. You know, so I think it could well have been worth it. But the manager knows better than anybody, like what you're seeing on the training pitch. 
you know, which is a game like we haven't seen John Philippe Gabamin, you know, so over the last few games. I'm not as hard on Rafa as, as some people are because I don't think the problems are of his making. I mean, he's yeah. been brought in and had to inherit a fairly wretched situation. I mean, the injury record has been abysmal. You know, it's been absolutely dreadful, you know, so from the start of the season. The players, are, and obviously he's not been able to spend any money either. So therefore, that's why he's bringing in, you know, so your free transfers, you know, Salomon Rondons, you know, Damari Grafer, you know, a pittance, Andros Townsend. And, you know, the majority, the two out of the three, have been bright and have been arguably the best of players this season. So, no, I don't think you can pin this on Benitez. Yeah, he's made a couple of decisions over the last few weeks that, you know, so maybe he might have done differently. But the bottom line is, you know, so th this is largely the same group of players that was going down to Brighton, you know, so and getting a good result that was going to Old Trafford, you know, so coming from behind to get a result. They've lost a couple of players, you know, so from injury since then. Confidence is massively low at the moment, and that is, like, causing a lot of issues. I wouldn't blame the manager for this. And I still think he's the right manager to try and, you know, keep a level head and try and turn things around. But I think we might have to brace ourselves for the fact that it's not going to get better in the short term before it does start to improve. Um, I think we're going to have to wait until we start getting players you know, available and off the early injured list. Dominic Calvert-Lewin being available more regularly. Yeri Mina being available more regularly. Maybe be, you know, being able to spend a little bit of money in January just to bring another player, maybe. I think we may have to wait till then which, you know, does sound worrying looking at the fixture list that's, that, that's looming. It is an interesting point that Preno makes. Gav, is Rafa Benitez just came in at that unfortunate time when all the bad decisions of the last three, four, five, six years have, have really came back to bite, plus, you know, a really unfortunate injury situation which nobody could have really foreseen? In a word, yeah. Um, just before I go back, I meant to say this last time I spoke, is you know the, the, the share pull on Rondon, wasn't it? Yeah. Apparently, VAR, the, the, the bar is set really high on VAR to overturn the share pull. In fact, VAR has only awarded one penalty for the share pull in this year. Do you know who it was? Cal Calvert-Lewin at Leeds is the only no. Premier League penalty awarded. And, and who's the referee? Darren England's. Wow. It was the referee and a referee yesterday. Obviously, um, obviously, um, what they would have seen is they'd only award it if if you're stopping the player from scoring. And yesterday, because the core headed it, he didn't stop the header. Then the VAR is no way going to overturn that. At the same time, if the ref awards it, VAR wouldn't question it either. So it's it's one of those little quirks of the VAR system. It won't 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 really overturn a share pull decision. Well, it's an absolutely ab abysmal flaw in the system because yeah, 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 yeah. deliberately attempting to stop a player scoring a goal, whereas Andros Townsend is deliberately trying to clear a ball and absolutely in no way yeah. trying to prevent a yeah. player scoring a goal. And yeah, he's punished and the Brentford defender isn't. It stinks. Yeah. Absolutely stinks. Yeah, I, th I think there's, there's a separate... But that's why that penalty wasn't yeah. given yesterday. That's the, that's the, that's the guidelines. Um so going back to Sam's question, I just thought it was relevant to the previous yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you have Benitez has got a perfect storm, hasn't he? Hasn't he? Is everything that can go wrong has gone wrong ever since you know since the summer, and he's he's paid for the the extravagance spending and imbalanced recruitments of the last well, you'd say five years, wouldn't you really? Now, and uh, that that planning. That's been absent, and um, that's why 
why we are where we are, isn't it, to it to a degree? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm just thinking how how you say let's indulge ourselves here. Um, you you sack Rafa and you bring a new manager in, and you say to him, okay, Evan, big club, blah blah blah. You oh, by the way, you're not going to have any money to spend in January. In next summer, there'll be three or four players leaving, all on fees, and you're probably not going to be able to spend much there either. And the natives are restless. And that's sort of where we are as a club. And I'm just wondering how many managers who value their reputations will be attracted by that that job. Um, that's that's why we should keep Benitez. Um, and so... But he, he has, but I do think that I, I do think he saw yesterday that his his game plan since he's coming. I've not got a problem with that. Is is to counter punch, isn't it? Have forty percent, thirty, forty percent possession. Let the opposition come onto you and then hit the spaces. Where like yesterday, where Brentford sit back, we haven't really got the players or the game plan to to break opposition down in those uh, those circumstances. So I think that's something. Uh, you take from yesterday, but going back to your original point, uh, Sam, yeah, he, he is suffering because of that. But going back to what I said at the start of the pod, I do think there's you know room for improvement in his own management performance. Well, we begin to look ahead, bees, and not very far ahead at all. And Everton, while we're doing this podcast, for anyone listening on Monday night, I've just confirmed that Rafa Benitez will face the media half one on Tuesday afternoon to, to preview the derby, but. It's a big press conference in a way that, you know, Calvert-Lewin, we have seen, was was back in light training earlier in the week. He would be an absolutely massive player to have back. I'm not too sure where Yeri Mean is up to with his own fitness, but anyone at this stage we can get back for, for this game on Wednesday against Liverpool would be would be huge. Yeah, I think it would be a, an enormous one for Calvert-Lewin. I mean, I, I, I'm not expecting it. It would be, be a lovely surprise for Everton if... If he was fit to return, but I wouldn't be banking on that. So I'd imagine it'd be probably be more of the same with the option of Richarlison possibly coming in for, for Rondon up, up top. Maybe you'd know, think he'd be hoping to get Damani Gray back in the starting lineup, wouldn't you? So, yeah, like you say, I mean, a huge uh, press conference before he even gets to the match for Rafa for, for two reasons. Obviously, the form that Everton are going in to this fixture in, and of course, they're all going to be asking him about the Liverpool connections, which I'm sure he'd be very keen. To bat off, but um, yeah, it's an inevitability, isn't it? Preno, you, you, you've watched a lot of derby matches in your time. Mm. This one is, this one feels a lot like the the dogs of war. Joe Royal one nil one leading up to it. In that, no one is really given Ever- Everton are on the slide. Liverpool doing well. There's there's definitely a chance for someone to make themselves a, a hero on Wednesday night, but there just doesn't seem to be any optimism in in the way we're playing up against the style of football that Liverpool play so well that Everton could pull something like that off. What, what are your thoughts leading up to it? Uh, I, I did a piece last week, uh, you know, sort of reflecting on those uh, those upsets and, you know, sort of trying to instill some sense of optimism in myself, uh, let alone, you know, sort of the people who are actually reading it. I didn't really believe it, to be honest. I mean, um, because they were very, very different occasions, the ones I wrote about. I mean, 94... Uh, November 9th, well, 2 it was, by the way, not 1-0. Um, and uh, that was like the worst start to a season Everton had ever made in the club's history. It was that bad. 
yeah. but equally it was a group of players that were being mismanaged you know so a group of players with spirit and with quality we hadn't seen it you know so up until then Duncan Ferguson hadn't scored a goal for Everton you know before that night but it also had players like Andy Hinchcliffe and Joe Parkinson and Barry Horn that weren't being used by Mike Walker that you know Joe Royal identified and introduced and equally it was a talented Liverpool team but it was a flaky Liverpool team that was the Spice Boys you know, a team that were capable of turning it on one day, but then, you know, collapsing against Coventry City the next. So that was all part of it. The worst one was when, in 1997, when uh, Howard Kendall's team had been to Coventry in the Bumbleos Cup and got beat 4-1. And it genuinely was the worst performance thing I've ever seen from an Everson team. It was so bad. Howard marched onto the pitch at the end and told the players to start doing laps of the pitch to try and do the work that they hadn't done during the game. And they rebelled on him. They revolted and basically says, no, we're not doing it. And there was out-and-out out anarchy on the pitch. And so you witness that on the Wednesday night and think, oh, my God, we're going to get battered on Saturday. And turned it round, actually won 2-0 as a result. So much so that, you know, some bright spark uh, actually decided to play the Raoul Dahl theme, Tales of the Unexpected, on the final whistle. <laughs> but again, that was a Liverpool team that was a little bit flaky, that was capable of, you know, so good things one moment and, you know, so dubious things the next. This Liverpool team isn't. This Liverpool team is possibly as good a Liverpool team as I've ever seen. And I, I saw the 78-79 team that conceded only like 16 goals in, a, in an entire league season. That you know won the league by an absolute landslide. That you know, uh, you know won the European Cup a year or two later. You know they were a great side, but this side's even better. I mean, Jurgen Klopp has created something absolutely exceptional here. And that's what worries me the most. You know they are an exceptional side that are an exceptional one of form at the moment and not really in the mood, you know, sort of to be upset. Okay, they've lost once this season away at West Ham. Could have gone either way, really, but West Ham are a much better side than we are at the moment without the kind of problems that we've got. It will take a monumental performance from the Amazon players selected on um, on Wednesday night. And it'll take a little bit of luck, a little bit of good fortune from the referee, maybe. And it'll take Liverpool to have an off night. And the only thing that slightly... You know, so it gave me a little bit of heart with Jurgen Klopp's nonsense on match of the day, where he's already, you know, still trying to, you know, suggest that Everson might be trying to kick them on the night. So we want to go there and play football. We'll see what the opponent wants to do. So we're in his head a little bit. You know, he's a little bit concerned that maybe Everson are going to be too intense for him. And I hope we are. You know, I hope we do get about them and I hope we do make life as uncomfortable as possible. That's the only thing that really gave me a little bit of heart. Because this Liverpool team is outstanding. And, you know, as we've already outlined, we're not. So, you know, so it does, it worries me. It's very, very different to those other upsets I've talked about. Even last year, when we went to Anfield and finally ended that appalling run without a, without a derby win, we did it on the back of Liverpool, having lost, I think, five home games in succession before we went there. That's not happened this season. So very, very different circumstances, unfortunately. So I'm sorry to pour water all over the, you know, the bonfire of optimism that I tried to stoke with, uh, with that piece last week. But that's genuinely what I think about Wednesday night. That's all good, because we can go to uh, Gav or Mr Optimism, <laughs> as, he's, uh, as he's normally known by on the, on the podcast. Yeah. What's your, what, what, what Derby Optimism are you going to light up this podcast with, Gav? I'm not going to give you any optimism, or I'm not even going to say anything. After you want to come on, come on here to get stick off you, Sam. You know, you have to watch the game with your with your Liverpool support. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I'm interested in Pleno's views on 78-79 and the quarantine. By the way, I I, I see a bloodshed podcast on that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I take you back to seventeen eighteen. 
think we played on Easter Saturday, didn't we? we played Liverpool, and we were obviously not the great under Allardyce, and they were absolutely flying, weren't they? Yeah. Um, that was when they were trans- they trans- Man City 3 0 on the, uh, I think on the following Wednesday in the in the Champions League. We got 100 odd points that season. Um, drew 0 0 at Goodison and Cavalier missed a great chance at the end, didn't he? But he left Salah and Mane out that night, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it'd be interesting yeah. to see what team he picked on Wednesday. Um, yeah. But I'm just try- I'm trying to be optimistic here. And they're still sorry. getting shot down, yeah? <laughs> um, no, seriously, I, I share Pedro's views. Um, I think the one thing compared to the 90s is the game has changed so much, hasn't it? You know, we still hear things of get stuck in and get in the face as well. A, the laws of the game don't allow you to do that anymore. And B, they'll be doing exactly the same to us. So um, football, quite rightly, is a far game far more based on skill and organisation than what it was in the mid nineties and even before. So I don't think that comes into it. Um, but you don't know, do you? You don't know. I don't think Klopp likes the wind at Goodison either, does he? Where's Swan when we need it? Yeah, yeah. Can we play last Friday night? Um, <laughs> yeah. Realistically, we know it's going one way, but. You don't know, do you really? Um, I was, I was. A couple of things to take from yesterday. It was good to see the core lasted the ninety. Yeah. That's one thing. That grey came on. Um, and look, okay, was really good. Good. but no one yeah, could be on the end Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you, that's something to work on, isn't it? Um, we'll obviously have the Charleston back. I'm trying to build the optimism here again. So, and. Uh, you know, so those are the plus points, but be realistic. The gap between the two clubs is massive compared to what even what it, what it was in the mid nineties. Absolute chasm, as wide as I can remember. But you, you live in hope, don't you? We could be all be downcast now. Imagine if we get a result on Wednesday. You know, even if we even if we draw on Wednesday, I think there might be a few sore heads on the Thursday podcast. Got to start somewhere. at all. You've got to start somewhere, Sam, haven't you, really? The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, we'll know a lot more tomorrow, Bees, after the press conference, but tactically, I mean, if, if we had the players in reserve, you could make a case to change all 10 outfield players mm-hmm. at, at this stage, but... You know, the, the, the usual suspects, I know Solomon Rondon and, and Alex Awobi have taken a lot of flack for their performances this season, but even someone like Andros Townsend, who started the season in such good form, has, has definitely dropped away a little bit in recent weeks. How can you see Rafa playing this one tactically? Could there even be the... Could you bring Fabian Delphin for an attacking player, try and pack out that midfield? Would he go five at the back? Can you see a change from what we saw at Brentford? I don't think there will be, but that is an option, isn't it? I mean, like I said, uh, you can add Fabian Delphin perhaps for the expense of one of those more attack-minded midfielders, either the Wobie or Anthony Gordon, something like that. But 
Um, as Gav's often said in the podcast, um, Rafa doesn't particularly have form for going with three central midfielders. Um, so I'm not too sure he'd do that. That's, I think as I previously, I would imagine that Richarlison would come in for Rondon, centre-forward. And I'd probably imagine that um, hopefully if Gray's fit, he'll, he'll come in for one one of those two more attacking midfielders. I mean, he could do that. He might bring a surprise, but he's just he doesn't, Given that he only made that one change yesterday, I don't think he is particular sort of um, great faith in those other options in there. Like I said, Delph had done well the previous two games. He, he'd started and, he, you know, he is, he is an option. But I, I can't imagine that they, they would change the shape too much for the game. I, I don't know. He could spring a surprise. But that, that's been the problem, isn't it? They, they have been quite predictable in the, in, in the way that they've they've set up. I'm, I'm, given that all we've said... And Lapula obviously scoring goals for fun and Everton have been absolutely awful. Out of all these games Everton have got coming up, I just think in a way, because it is a derby, something strange out of the ordinary could happen. Um, as long as Liverpool don't get it, go ahead early. Yeah. Um, you know, the longer if you can frustrate them, you know, would get the actually get the crowd behind them. They, they haven't won at Goodison for a little while now, have they? So no. um I actually overheard the, the Blood Red podcast earlier and, I, and, and you know, the, the way they were talking about it. Certainly, I could hear what obviously um, one of them was saying, the one who was in the office, and they were going, oh, yeah, 3-0, um, walk in the park and stuff like that. And you just wonder if... if yeah, I'm sure that the players won't, but the Liverpool players won't be so complacent, but you just wonder about that. I mean, if, if they can keep it tight at the start, and you know, rather than Liverpool sort of racing ahead, you know, it's something... Something could happen. Everton have been in much... They've not necessarily been on worse runs than this, but they've been in worse positions going into derbies and like the ones we mentioned earlier. So it's not quite as cut and dry as I think some are making now. I seen someone post on Twitter last night, Prano, saying that if they're winning on Wednesday and Goodison has kind of been silenced and from the away end, you can hear chants of Rafa Benitez, it would be the lowest ebb in Goodison history. I mean, the, there is the real possibility that, you know, I would imagine that, well, Marcel Brand will be in attendance, Bill Kenwright will be in attendance, but if there is a kind of revolt or maybe not a revolt too strong away, but hmm. if they do lose on Wednesday, then that will really ramp up the pressure on not just Rafa Benitez, but everyone associated with Everton Football Club. Well, well, I hope the one man that, you know, makes the ultimate decisions that is responsible, you know, so you know, for all of these appointments is in attendance to witness what potentially may happen. And that's Farhad Mashiri, who's, yeah. as far as I'm aware, has only been to one home game all season. Uh, and that was like the game against Watford. Uh, and, you know, even then, you know, great ones. Well, to choose. Well, exactly. Yeah, but even now, he, he missed the first 20 minutes or so. So I'm led to believe he just prefers to watch it on, on television. But, you know, and I know, I know he lives in Monaco and therefore his number of uh, visits to this country are limited, you know, so by the, uh, the wealth laws. But, you know, equally, it is, we're guessing, aren't we? You know, we don't know what's going to happen on the night. Uh, you know, my hope is that there's a great Goodison atmosphere. You know, there's yeah. the old bear pit thing. What I don't want is there to be silence, you know, so for the first 10 or 15 minutes, which we have seen on a number of occasions this season. You know, so come on, entertain us, show us that you're worthy of our support. We can't really do that in a derby match, you know, so we need to get, you know, you know, so behind the team as much as possible, you know, regardless of whether you believe, you know, the players don't deserve that backing. It's a derby match. You've got to make the atmosphere as uncomfortable and as unpleasant as possible uh, for the visitors. And that can contribute, uh, you know, it can 
get in the mind of the referee. It can get in the mind of the players who are facing you. Um, uh, I'm always minded of the the, the wonderful quote uh, from JB Redknapp years ago, telling one of my colleagues, Rick George, about uh, derby matches. And I can't do JB Redknapp's voice, so I won't. But uh, he goes, I, I hate that Barry on. He always tries to do you. <laughs> and I remember, I remember telling Barry that, and Barry loved it because he knew psychologically he was in Jamie Redknapp's head, you know, so before Derby matches. And so you need to try and score every single psychological point you can in Derby games. And the crowd can help with that, the crowd can contribute. And so, you know, they need to do their best. And then if things go badly, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll worry about what happens then, you know, so on the crowd reaction afterwards. Yeah, it could be it could be toxic, it could be grim, it could be horrendous. But let's not second guess it because we don't know what's going to happen yet. Let's hope that that's not the case. You know, so and there's you know tales of the unexpected being played over the tally at the final whistle again. Definitely take that. Any any tactical kind of surprises that you think Rafa might spring, Gav? Uh, no, I think no? he I think he'll bring Gray in. Yeah, for the start. Um, Who for? Pardon. Gray for the Wobie and then Richarlison for Rondon. Do you think that that'll be the sum of the parts? Maybe. Maybe. Or oh, just thinking about Man City, you know, really played Richarlison up top. We never got the ball to him at all during the course of the game. So he was yeah. wasted, wasn't he? Yeah. You may as well, on, at Man City, you may as well have played Rondon the centre forwards, really, and played yeah. Richarlison out wide because at least he would have saw more of the ball. Yeah, and then take him from there. So I wouldn't do that myself. And highly unpopular decision, but I keep Rondon up top and play the Charleston, maybe wide left, um, just so he sees the ball. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. Uh, I, with I, I, yeah. I, I thought, I thought, I, I thought we wasted the Charleston at City because what was the point of him playing it? I mean, certainly when Gray got injured, he would have brought Rondon on and put the Charleston and Gray's. Gray spec. So I'd try and give our best players more of the ball during the game. And that, that means playing the Charles on my left and playing Rondon up front and just telling them to. What does what Harry Dednap say to Padley Chenk all that time where he didn't understand oh, uh, English? Just go up front and run now for a bit. And I think that's what, that's what I'll, if I was Rafford, I'd tell Rondon that on Wednesday, go, go up top and run now. Um, and so I'd play the Charles on my left, wouldn't play the Charles centre forward. Because we've had the conversation a million times on the pod, haven't we? Not least a couple of fortnights ago about Richarlison. Should not play centre forward, Vicky, wouldn't it? Avoid it. And so I've had Richarlison for Gordon, Richarlison for the Wobie, whichever. Um, Charlison and Gray on, on the wings, I think, would be for, be for me. And, and keep Rondon up, uh, up top, who, dare I say, actually looked a little bit sharper than what he has done recently. Okay. yesterday but maybe that's more to do with the opposition um, that's what I do If there was ever a chance to go from ultimate zero to ultimate hero it would be Solomon Rondon scoring a last minute winner at the Gladys Street end on Wednesday night wouldn't it? Well it was dangerous yeah. met big Duncan Ferguson hadn't broken his duck until that we go. derby in 94 <laughs> so why not eh? Well we'll end our podcast with the custom any predictions which may very well come back to haunt the four of us uh, by about 10 o'clock on Wednesday night. But Bees, huh. Everton versus Liverpool, Goodson Park, Wednesday night. What is your score prediction? Why not? Everton 1-0. Everton 1-0, clean sheet. <laughs> I'll take some doing, Prell. 
uh, this is absolute nonsense, isn't it? Because we know <laughs> none of us actually believe what we're going to say. Uh, I'll, I'll say nil-nil. Uh, and I'll tell... I'd, actually, I'd pay a fortune for that right now. I would give <laughs> that offered to me right now. I don't genuinely believe it's going to happen. But for the purposes of being upbeat, and I'm not going to predict a defeat in a derby. Uh, I'm going to go nil-nil. Gav? Um, my score forecast came back to all me. We'd need good from full of exorcists on there uh, Wednesday, to be honest with you, Evan. I'm there, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with goalless because it, it has been, is it? I'm trying to think. Is there not been a goal in the good, yeah. goodness and derby? Is three goalless scores in the last four years? Is it something like that? I can't remember. It's, Seems ages, seems very few goals, doesn't it? So no, we've all gone yeah. for a clean sheet now. Yeah. I'll yeah. go for a repeat of last season, two two. I mean uh, Jordan Pickford and you know who in this game because <laughs> yeah. there's so many subplots to this. So mm. yeah, we could do with Jordan having an inspired night and he has been playing well recently. So yeah, that might help us. <laughs> well, that that did, is a very sorry, that is a very, very good point, Preno. Oh. Pickford. Yeah. That is a very good point. You know what he's like. Do you back him to keep his head on Wednesday night, Prell? I do, yeah, because we've seen a different Jordan Pickford over the last yeah. uh, the last few months. And yeah, we know he's going to be getting dogs abuse from the Liverpool supporters. And, you know, the Liverpool players will be doing all they can to try and wind him up. But, you know, he's England's number one goalkeeper. He's got experience of playing at the very, very highest level. You know, he's played in, you know, so European Championship finals, World Cup semi-finals. You know, yes, I do back him to keep his head. Liverpool, Liverpool did bring Virgil back to, to sit on the bench at the Anfield derby last season as well, didn't he? So I suppose some of the kind of awkwardness might have been... Well, an, an empty Anfield derby, but yeah, you know, yeah. So it'll be a very, very different occasion this one. Well, we will look forward to or, or get through this game on, on Wednesday night and we will be back to discuss it all on Thursday. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we will be back to discuss a famous and unexpected... Everton win, but thank you so much for listening. You can follow the Royal Blue Podcast group on Facebook or you can follow the lads on Twitter to keep up to date with all their latest Everton musings. We've been the Royal Blue Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.